Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, it's healthy and normal to become aware of possible threats and dangers around us so that we can be safe and make safe choices. However, in children with anxiety, they get a little bit stuck in continually imagining that something bad or dangerous will happen. And it feels just as if that bad thing is happening or is going to happen in real life. They are experiencing the feelings or the anxiety as if it is going to happen. They focus on what they truly believe are the negative outcomes that have a large likelihood in their head of occurring and place high value on those negative outcomes, while at the same time placing very low value and the likelihood of positive outcomes happening like very low down on the list. And they are not taking the risks and doing the thing that scares them. Parenting an anxious child means facing constant challenges and questions. When should parents step up and step in and help their child deal with these fears or take away the likelihood of those fears by avoiding the thing that scares their child? How can parents foster independence while still supporting their children and acknowledging the anxiety. How can parents reduce the hold their child's anxiety has on their entire family and cope with the role that they may be inadvertently playing in kowtowing to that anxiety while trying to help their child cope with it? And how do we talk to our children about anxiety and how we can support our children in living with it in a positive way? For this conversation, I will be talking together with Professor Ellie Leibowitz. Professor Leibowitz studies and treats childhood and adolescent anxiety and is the director of the Program for Anxiety Disorders at Yale University's Child Study Center. His research focuses on the development, neurobiology, and treatment of anxiety and related disorders with special emphasis on cross-generational and family influence on these disorders. Dr. Leibowitz is the lead investigator on multiple funded research projects and is the author of numerous research papers, books, and chapters on childhood and adolescent anxiety. He's the father of three great boys. Dr. Leibowitz has a new book out called Breaking Free of Child Anxiety and OCD. So welcome, Dr. Ellie Leibowitz, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Well, thank you so much for having me. It's great to be on this show. I'm really thrilled to have you. This is a very important topic. Before we jump into the conversation about anxiety and OCD, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested in helping kids who have anxiety and helping families who are coping with anxiety problems within their family? 
You know, I've been interested in childhood anxiety and related problems like obsessive compulsive disorder for many years. And this really goes back, well, in one sense, it goes back to my own childhood where I certainly experienced enough anxiety and some obsessive compulsive symptoms as well. But professionally, I've been interested in this for many years. And, you know, many years ago, I was working in a, in a children's hospital. And I was actually working in two programs at the same time. And one was an anxiety disorders clinic where we worked with children. And the other was a parent guidance clinic for parents of children with really problematic behaviors, mm. delinquency, truancy, violence, things like that. There, as is often the case, we worked with parents. And over time, it really drove me to think more about what we could be doing with parents mm. of children with anxiety disorders. Why are we not taking some of what we know about parent work and applying it to helping families of children with anxiety problems. And so that really drove me to think a lot about the role of parents and how we might be helpful to parents of children who are struggling with these really common problems. I mean, that's great synergy. You happen to be in a place where everything seemed to come together and it would make complete sense to put those things together. Usually when people think about anxiety and children, uh, they think about, they're probably picturing the child who is frozen in her tracks or hiding behind his parent or crying and screaming when she sees something that scares her, a spider, a dog, a bee. But anxiety in children can look very different in different children. So can you tell us what anxiety might look like and how this relates to the four domains you mention in your book, Body, Thoughts, Behaviors, and Feelings? I think that is such a fantastic question because you're absolutely right. If we all close our eyes and imagine what does an anxious child look like, we might have some picture in mind, mm. right? That child, like you described, he's cowering in the corner. She's looking away, not meeting our gaze, maybe shy and, and inhibited. And that is actually going to be true mm -hmm. for some anxious children, but it's not going to be the description of all anxious children. You know, one thing that I like to remind parents of is that phrase fight or flight mm -hmm. i think everybody knows that phrase by now fight or flight mm -hmm. and yet so often we seem to forget that half of that is fight mm -hmm. and what it means is that for some children anxiety is going to drive them more in that flight direction with through feelings of fear but in other children it might drive them through more toward the fight side of it mm -hmm. aggression anger irritability temper tantrums mm -hmm. rigidity so many other manifestations of anxiety and it means that we really need to broaden our view of what an anxious child might look like but what they really will have in common are those four domains that you just mentioned anxiety affects everything mm -hmm. about how we go through life right? our bodies change our thoughts change our behavior, of course, changes mm -hmm. when we're anxious and our feelings change. You know? so, and, and so often we think of the feelings part only as that fear feeling, but it's also those anger feelings and it's also the feelings we don't have when we're anxious, like feeling happy, excited or motivated or curious. Anxiety can look really different in different children. Mm -hmm. But getting good at noticing it and detecting it means that we can get so much better at getting the help that children need.
It's such an important aspect of understanding anxiety because, you know, as you're mentioning, it can look like a behavior problem. The child who is refusing to get on the bus might just look like they're not listening to you. It's time to go. It's time to go to the bus stop. No, I want to do this. I'm going to do that. I'm going to slam my door. I'm going to speak poorly to you. And you might be thinking to yourself, well, this this child is just not a good listener. They're not doing what I'm asking. When at the, at the same time, that child may be having some anxiety problems and not listening or looking like they're not listening, but in actuality, fearful of going to school or getting on the bus or some other kind of fear that we haven't pinpointed. Isn't that correct? That's exactly right. And it means that, you know, for, for the teacher, for example, who sees a child who um, looks upset and walks over to them and puts a hand on their shoulder and gets yelled at in response or shoved in response, mm. you know, that's going to trigger your own fight or flight yes. system as an adult in that situation. You're going to get upset. You're going to get anxious or angry. And, and you're going to look at that child and think, wow, this child really has a disciplinary problem. They don't know how to behave. But it's entirely possible that that could be a reaction driven by a child's anxiety. And your example about getting on the school bus is is spot on. You know, we used to think about absenteeism from school, which is a huge problem. It's mm -hmm. hard to get some kids to go to school and mm -hmm. school is not appealing for every child mm -hmm. equally. And we used to think of absenteeism as primarily truancy, right? Mm -hmm. Like the child who wants to go hang out at the mall and mm -hmm. play with friends or just play video games. But research shows that actually, by far, it's much more likely that a child who's chronically absent from school is actually suffering not from one of those externalizing behavior problems, but from an internalizing problem like anxiety mm. or depression. It's really important to consider that. And, and I'm glad you put that on the table. And you said it straight out in the very beginning of your book. It's interesting. You also talk about how we have this thought in our heads that, especially when we're dealing with behavior and children, ignore it and it'll go away. People are, get that advice all the time. You say in your book that research on childhood anxiety problems show that simply waiting for an anxiety problem to go away on its own doesn't usually work and that it can be successfully addressed. So what are some ways that we can address anxiety problems in children, whether it's social anxiety or separation anxiety or phobias or panic attacks? What are some ways that sort of general ways that we can go ahead and start addressing these issues? Mm -hmm. Yes, first of all, I mean, it's, it's, it's exactly right. There's really a good news, bad news story when it comes to anxiety problems. And the bad news is exactly that, which is that these are problems that statistically, they're just not that likely to go away mm -hmm. on their own. If you have an anxious child today and nothing is done to help them, you're more likely to have a more anxious child next year mm -hmm. than a less anxious child. Mm -hmm. And that is the bad news part of it. But the good news is that in all of mental health, in all of psychopathology, all the mental, emotional, psychological problems that children cope with, there is nothing more treatable than mm. anxiety. We, we wish we had effective treatments for so many other problems in mental health mm -hmm. that even came near the level of the efficacy of our treatments for anxiety problems. Wow. It means the world is full of children who used to have 
and anxiety disorder and don't today. Now, when you put those two things together, if it's not that likely to go away on its own, but it is likely to respond to help, you really get a pretty strong argument mm -hmm. for doing something to actually help these children, which gets to your exact question about what can be done to help them. Mm -hmm. And overcoming anxiety, you know, it starts even before therapy. There is, There are therapies, there are medications, but at a really deep level, it starts even before you get to the doctor's office or, or do anything professional to try to help them. And it starts with learning to change our attitude toward anxiety. The natural response to feeling anxious is to want to not feel anxious. <laughs> Right, right. I think that's important, actually, to highlight the children are not choosing this anxiety like they don't want to have it. Nobody wants to have this. Right. Nobody wants. Nobody wants to have it. And and, you know, really, if you think about the whole purpose of an anxiety system at, at a really simple level, this is our alarm system. Mm -hmm. Right. It's there to make us avoid dangers. And so it is engineered to be unpleasant. Just like the alarm, you know, the smoke alarm in your house mm -hmm. is engineered to make an unpleasant sound, mm -hmm. right? We don't have our smoke alarms play our favorite <laughs> tune so that we hang around and listen to it. We get some Oreos and sit down exactly. on the couch and listen. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> we make it play an unpleasant sound so that we think, ooh, I have to turn that off. I have to get out of here or make it stop because mm -hmm. this is really bothering me. And that's how our anxiety alarm system is as well. Because when we're dealing with real dangers, we don't want to stick around and see how it goes. We want to get ourselves out of that dangerous situation. But when, just like your smoke alarm, when our alarm system for anxiety is a little bit too sensitive, it's a little bit miscalibrated, mm. right? Just like all alarms can be. You know, ask yourself, have you ever heard a car alarm go off, mm. the answer is probably yes. Mm -hmm. Ask yourself, have you ever heard a car alarm go off because a car was being stolen? Right. I, you know, right. The answer to that might actually be no. Right. For lots of people, it's actually going to be no because alarms aren't perfect. Mm -hmm. And our anxiety alarm isn't perfect either, but it's engineered to be unpleasant mm -hmm. to us. And so we don't want to feel anxious. Mm -hmm. But this is a trap. And that's what I mean by we have to learn to change our attitude toward anxiety. If we make it our goal to not feel anxious, to always stay away from the things that trigger our anxiety, we are dooming ourselves mm. to more anxiety. And the same is true for a parent and a child. If I make it my goal, which sounds like such a reasonable goal, to help my child never feel anxious. I mean, what a beautiful thing mm -hmm. in spirit, right? If only we right. could you know, help our kids go through life without those unpleasant feelings of anxiety. But if I make it my goal, what am I teaching my child? I'm teaching them, you need to do everything to not feel anxious. Anxiety is dangerous. It's awful. It's terrible. It's a disaster. Mm -hmm. And you need to always do your best to stay away from it. Mm -hmm. And we're teaching the child to always avoid, to never feel safe and confident. Mm -hmm. And so changing that attitude to one that says, I can handle feelings of anxiety. It sucks. It's uncomfortable. I don't love it. But it's going to go away and I'm still going to be okay afterward. I'm still going to be there and the sun's still going to rise and I'm, you know, my parents are still going to be around and we'll be fine. Having that basic attitude of it's okay to be anxious sometime, sometimes is maybe the most important thing for an anxious child 
And it's maybe the biggest gift that a parent can give a child who's vulnerable to anxiety, just knowing that they can cope with that and handle it and still be okay. And, and making sure that they, that they know your attitude about anxiety is, is really important then. It's not something that you should you know, just gloss over, not talk about, keep to yourself. Because when a child understands your confidence, and we'll talk about that later, but when they understand that you, you get it, that it's, that it sucks, but that you know also that we can do these hard things together and you can do it on, on your own. And I sometimes have to deal with it too. And I'm anxious about certain things and I don't really like talking in front of people, but I have to do it for work or whatever it is that they are able to see that it's not something that, oh, it's just for children. It's all the time. This is one of those kind of life skills that we have to deal with sucky things and do them anyway. Obviously, for the child who has anxiety, it's more of an issue. But everybody must face hard things at some time in life. Right. That is perfect. That's exactly right. And that attitude from parents toward their children's anxiety and even toward how they're modeling their own coping with anxiety, we, we call that support. Mm-hmm. A support attitude. I mean, it's such a simple word, but it captures such an important thing about raising an, uh, an anxious child or a child who's prone to experiencing anxiety a lot of the time. And there's really two basic elements to being supportive toward your child who's coping with anxiety. And one of those is being accepting of it. Mm-hmm. You really can't be supportive of your anxious child if you're dismissive, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. If you trivialize it, and you know, sometimes we do that in kind of harsh ways when we say things like, oh, don't be a baby, mm-hmm. act your age. Mm-hmm. Sometimes we do it in subtler ways. Like when we say, it's not scary. Your child is frightened and you're saying, oh, it's not scary. And you don't mean to be dismissive no, of it, right. right? You probably mean, well, you don't need to be scared or I'm not scared or I wish you weren't so scared, but you're telling them, what they feel is not right. Mm -hmm. It's either not genuine or it's in some way just wrong and Mm -hmm. and not really acceptable. Mm -hmm. So we start being supportive with acceptance, which can be as simple as saying to your child, I get it. I see this is hard for you. I know that this is scary for you. You won't make your child more anxious by acknowledging the fact that they are. Oh, that's such an important statement right there. Because I think that is a fear for parents, right? Like if we shine light on something, that it will make it that much more true or emphasize the problem. But no, it's just empathy, right? And it's just, I am validating your feeling and I see it and I know it. And when we validate the feeling, the kid is not sitting there trying to convince us of it the entire time. Exactly. And if you don't validate it, that's exactly what's going to happen. Your Mm -hmm. child is going to feel like they're trying to give you a message. You don't seem to be picking it up. (laughs) They're going to raise the volume, right? They're going to look more anxious. That is a fear that some parents Mm -hmm. have. You know, if I admit it, if I acknowledge it, then, oh, well, it's just going to get worse. That's not what happens. When we validate emotions, they tend to get lower, not more powerful. And once you're doing that acceptance, you're halfway to support. Mm The other half of support is showing your child that you have confidence in them, Mm -hmm. that you believe that they can handle those feelings. Look, 
they're going to have to handle the feelings, mm -hmm. whether you want them to or not, whether you wish it or like it or not. A child who's vulnerable to anxiety is going to go through life experiencing anxiety, mm -hmm. maybe more than other kids. Mm -hmm. And when they're an adult, they're likely to still have some of that vulnerability to anxiety. The last thing you really want to teach that child is, well, you're going to have all this anxiety in your life, and sadly, you can't cope with it. <laughs> right? That's, that seems like a really depressing message. <laughs> yeah, that's a terrible message. Right? Like, you know, nobody whose child was just diagnosed with uh, asthma wants to tell their child, what a shame that you of all kids got asthma because you suck at asthma. <laughs> asthma. You might as well just go lie down and just exactly, knock it up. up. Yeah. No. What do we want to say to that kid? We want to say, you know, it does kind of suck that this happened. It's a challenge, but you're going to get through it and we're going to be there with you and we're going to help you and you're strong and you're capable and you're going to be just fine mm -hmm. and you're going to have a great life even if asthma is part of it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And this is the same. We don't want to be conveying to a child, well, you have this vulnerability to anxiety and it's a shame because you can't handle it. So confidence means you can handle it. And that is also really simple. Mm -hmm. You know, we started by saying, I get it. We just need to add, and I know that you can handle it. It's already a supportive statement. Yes, it is a very supportive statement. It has empathy in it and it has the, the confidence, I believe in you, a part of the statement so that you're not allowing, I when I talk about it with my child, my daughter, I say you're not allowing anxiety to, to drive your bus. You know, it's not in charge of where, you know, what you're doing and where you're going. We're acknowledging that it's there. But it's not going to be able to be the driving force of what you're going to do with your life and, and the, the things that you get to do. You're in charge. And we believe that you can make these choices. And we believe that you can do all the things that you have in mind that you would like to do. It's so important for parents to convey their confidence to their child so that the child doesn't feel like they do have to kowtow to the anxiety. Oh, I have anxiety, therefore I can't, period. And exactly. that's the end. Yeah. So, and I want to just peel it back a little bit, but you discussed some well-intentioned ways, and we just talked about a little bit, that, that parents try to help their, their children deal with the anxiety problems, and they wind up backfiring. And I just want to name them since since we kind of we just were talking about them in some way but i want to be more exact with the parents and and educators who are listening here so you talk about in your book that there are protection and then there are demanding ways that we often respond to our children and these backfire so what does protection and demanding look like and sound like when we are dealing with a child who is coping with anxiety problems as opposed to the support that you just mentioned. Yeah, but, you know, being uh, protective is when you're giving the message, it's my job to make sure that you will be okay. It's my job to make sure mm -hmm. that you won't have to encounter these difficult mm -hmm. challenges. You hear it in sometimes not only in the things that parents say to their children, but also to the things they in the things they say about their children. Mm. And one really important lesson for parents, I think, to always have in mind is 
your child is listening not only when you're speaking directly to them oh, yeah. but also when you're speaking about them when you're on the phone with your friend when you're right. at the doctor speaking to, to to them we're teaching our children all the time not only when we intend to be teaching them because they're learning all the time and so it's those ideas like my child can't handle stress this is a phrase i've heard a thousand times and oh. it's like it's a, such a regular normal mm. thing to say I, I, I don't like my eyebrows don't go very high when I hear it but think about the message that your child is getting well what am I learning about myself I can't handle stress mm. mm-hmm. well then what yes. does that mean for me and stress I mean I do have stress in my life mm-hmm. and so I know I can't handle it and my parents are very knowledgeable stress. right I mean they, they must know the they must know well, they know me better than anybody, mm-hmm. and they know so much more than I do. So if they say I can't handle stress, I guess I probably shouldn't even try. Mm-hmm. And my child goes to pieces. My child is fragile. Mm-hmm. Um, even just simple things like my child is a warrior, right? Mm-hmm. Which is true. It's not. I'm not even arguing that it's not correct. Mm-hmm. Like lots of children are warrior, warriors. But now we're defining this mm-hmm. child as like, this is who they are, mm-hmm. as opposed to my child is strong and handles his worries, mm-hmm. right? That's a, a completely different message. Mm-hmm. I like to say to parents, remember that you're the mirror that your child is looking into and they're seeing who they are. Mm. That's powerful. So think about, the, think about the mirror that you're holding up. Right. And, and that's not even true only for anxiety. It's true in general. Agreed. Right. If you know, if 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 your child, tri- if your child tries to be funny and amuse you and what they see in the mirror is I'm not funny, I'm irritated. What are they going to learn about themselves and know about themselves? Well, I guess I'm an irritating, not particularly amusing person. And you know what? They're going to be more irritating tomorrow because now they know that's who they are. But then parents feel like they're lying, right? Because but the kid the kid is not being funny <laughs> or the kid is 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 worrying and I just lied to somebody to say that he can handle it. How do you respond to that when a parent tells you, "I don't want to lie about my child?" No, of course not. I don't want you to lie about your child either. And you don't have to. Mm-hmm. You don't have to lie about them. You know, every child is funny sometimes. Yes. And it's okay. They don't have to be Jerry Seinfeld to be <laughs> to get a smile out of mom or to get a smile out of dad. They can be cute sometimes, mm-hmm. just like sometimes they tell an interesting story and sometimes they tell a little bit less of an interesting one. And when it comes to the anxiety, you're not lying. Mm-hmm. They can handle. If you think you're lying by saying my child can handle distress or discomfort, I would say give them a chance and find out because children are actually a lot more resilient and capable than we sometimes give them credit for. Mm -hmm. Sometimes we rush so quickly to protect them from the distress because we're so sure they couldn't handle it because they did have a meltdown last time. They did have a temper tantrum or they were crying and sobbing. And so we came away with this idea that my child can handle stress. But you know what? After that meltdown, they did calm down. Right. They were okay. They still got up the next day. So let's give them a chance. You're not lying mm-hmm. when you say my child can handle distress. And it doesn't even have to be, you know, a, a thousand percent of all discomfort. You can, you can communicate that they can handle some distress. Mm. And the other side that you mentioned was being demanding. Right. And this is another pitfall that we fall into sometimes. And by demanding, 
Well, what, what I really mean is when I'm giving my child the message that they either should not feel the way they feel or should somehow magically act as though they don't. <laughs> yes. Right? It's, you know, once I, can, can I tell you a story? Yeah, I love stories. You know, one time I was, I was um, hiking in the desert and I don't love heights myself, but I came across a family that was doing um, rappelling. You know, this is where you strap yourself to a harness and walk down a cliff with, with ropes and some people love this and others like myself love it less. Uh, <laughs> yes. So I'm hiking and I see this child and he's obviously doing this for the first time. And he has his back to the void, right? He has his back to the cliff because the way you do this is you walk backward right. off the cliff right. and then you walk down the side. Yes. And he's just frozen. And there are tears streaming Aww. down his face. He is terrified. And I walked over a little bit closer. And what I discovered when I got closer to the edge is that dangling upside down about 10, 15 feet below is his dad. Oh and gosh. he's calling out to him, but it's fun. This is awesome. <laughs> he wasn't very now, convinced, I don't think. <laughs> that does no, not look fun to me. It's a funny story, but I'll be honest. If you get this child to do it, there's absolutely a chance that he gets to the bottom and he says that it was awesome. Mm -hmm. And I want to do it again because sometimes doing things for the first time is just hard. But in this moment, he was not having fun. Mm -hmm. He was terrified and paralyzed and frozen and upset. Mm -hmm. And his father wasn't really communicating to him, I get this is hard mm -hmm. for you. He was communicating, this should be easy for you like it's easy for me. Mm -hmm. And it's really easy to be Superman when yes. your child is small. Right. Right. You know, we can be, I, 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 uh, I've been sad the past couple of years because my kids reached an age where they figured out I kind of suck at sports. Yeah. Okay. Yes. They, they figure that <laughs> they figure out where we stink at a lot of things. <laughs> Not yeah, as good exactly. as we thought. <laughs> exactly. And, you know, for a while it was easy to be the best at every sport because my kids were so small mm -hmm. that I could be the best tennis player, even though I never played mm -hmm. tennis in my life and I could be the best soccer player and the best everything. It's easy to be Superman when your child is small and scared. Mm. But what we're not doing is giving them a bridge to also get to the place where mm. they feel strong mm. and competent, mm -hmm. right? It's like, well, my dad is Superman. That's awesome for my dad. And I'm proud of him and I admire him. But doesn't mean that I can fly. Mm -hmm. Right. I remember that in your book that that just because you can do it and you're not having a problem with it and it doesn't make you anxious or that you've conquered conquered the anxiety doesn't mean that your child can do that in that moment. Exactly. So we're being demanding when these are the messages that we're giving, whether in a more kind way or sometimes in a harsher, less kind way. Right. When we're giving the message, what you feel is not OK or I don't believe in what you in your experience that's when we're being demanding and neither one of them is supportive you can't really be supportive if you're overly protective and you can't really be supportive if you're overly demanding either right and that demanding can sound like uh you can you've got to get a grip or just go ahead and do it already or just man up as people say i hate that statement or you know, why can't you be more like your sister who already repelled down the mountain right like look she did it exactly okay okay so let's let's go to that mountain if you were in that circumstance with that child 
what would you have said or done differently? Yeah, I'm probably the wrong person to be teaching rap spelling, but <laughs> do it for something else then. Yeah, now I'll go with the, with the example anyway. And again, I think it starts with a simple supportive statement. This isn't high tech. You don't have to be a master creative writer in order to do this. And that's right. the beauty of it, because, you know, if, if we all had to be uh, incredibly creative in every stressful moment when our child is freaking out, we wouldn't do a great job of that. So mm -hmm. what we can rely on is the very simple recipe of acceptance and confidence, mm -hmm. meaning what we can say to this child is, first of all, I see that you are really scared right now. Mm. You know, think about this child's just their inside feeling when someone that they do admire, when someone that they rely on and care about says that to them, their whole inside feeling has just shifted mm -hmm. because I'm not just yelling, go, 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 rah, 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 get with the program. Mm -hmm. I'm saying, I see it. I see, I see you. Mm -hmm. I see your experience. And so I get that this is really frightening for you. And I want you to know that I get that. And I believe that you can handle that feeling. Mm -hmm. And if you want to give this a try, even a little try, I'm right there with you. Mm, mm, mm. That's great that you have that extra feeling that you're by their side. You know, you're not in the, the impatient person waiting at the bottom of the mountain in this case. You're right by their side. You're ready to do it with them. You're, you know, coaching them along. And I think that's important for parents, but I think it's also important for the educators who are listening in and the coaches that are listening in that this is a technique you can use all the time um, if for in all of those different situations because we've all seen children in school and in after school programs and at home uh, dealing with different types of things that make them feel anxious and, and just being able to validate those feelings and show that you have confidence in that child and that you're willing to be with them each step of the way and when they're trying something new is, is a great commentary on how to how to help that child move forward, take one step. Now, you talk about accommodation a lot in your book, and I think it's something that we have to bring out of the shadows because it is something that parents and educators do, and they were very well-intentioned, uh, but it, it actually can dwarf our our children's ability to move forward so we are talking about when we're talking about accommodations typically in a lot of the language we're talking about for school we're like oh accommodations these are great these are you know our ability to you know help those children who are struggling in school by allowing them to sit in front of the class or have the ability to go to a quiet room or extra time on tests those are the helpful accommodations that we're talking about but there are also detrimental accommodations that you highlight in your book, and they do relate to children with anxiety problems. So tell us what parent or family accommodations might look like in children with social anxiety or separation anxiety or phobias or OCD, any of those, that are actually something we need to be aware of so that we stop doing them or at least peel back some of the layers over time. 
Yeah, this is a really important question. And, and accommodation is one of the biggest topics right now in childhood anxiety mm. research mm. and, and uh, treatment over the past, not even a decade, really, since we've really started focusing on this in a, mm. in a, in a big way, in a systematic way. But in these past you know, half a decade, it's really become one of the hottest topics in childhood anxiety research and treatment. And what accommodation really means is all of those different ways that parents and others, but we're often talking about parents, are changing their own behavior mm. to help their child avoid feeling anxious, mm. to help them feel less anxious when they are anxious. Mm -hmm. And these are well-intentioned behaviors. Right. Uh, nobody wants their child to suffer. Mm -hmm. No, no, no reasonable parent wants their child to to suffer. And so often we do need to make changes because of a child's difficulty. Mm -hmm. Right. You know, if, if you have a child with uh, diabetes, you are going to change some things in your household. Mm -hmm. Right. You're going to buy different food. Mm -hmm. and, or if you have a child with allergies, you're going to make some accommodations. to right. that, And you should. Right. But when it comes to anxiety, these accommodations, even though they are well-intentioned, I'm trying to help my child feel better. Mm -hmm. And honestly, I'm also trying to get through the day. Honestly, yeah, that's I true. Have other kids that have to get to school and to sleep and I have to get to work and we all have to yeah. get through the day. Right. And there's a lot of pressures on parents to keep things right. moving along when, right. when sometimes ang kids' anxiety can sort of make them be a little bit right. stuck. Right. And so even though they're well-intentioned, what we know from a tremendous amount of research now all over the world is that these accommodations actually over time tend to maintain child anxiety. Mm -hmm. They tend to get in the way of mm -hmm. the anxiety going away mm -hmm. rather than to help. Let me give an example because I think, you know, it's, 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 uh, it's a good word, but it's still a little bit vague if yeah. you just say accommodation. Sure. But you know, we could take any child anxiety symptom and think about how that's going to impact a parent's behavior through accommodation. Mm -hmm. Maybe you have a child with uh, separation anxiety, for example. They feel scared when you're right when you're not nearby. You're likely to be accommodating. Right. Maybe you don't go out in the evening. Maybe you sleep next to them at night. I just remember we've always had a dog and I remember having a family call me and say, I know we're coming over today and you have a dog. Can you put the dog in a, in a separate room so that my child doesn't have to see your dog? And just remembering that, that feeling like you want to, you want to help that child, but this is our family dog. <laughs> and <laughs> at the same time, having that feeling like, okay, I, I need to change what I'm doing to accommodate this child. And this, and these parents, they basically said, if you're not able to do that, we won't be coming over. So yeah, that's, that's such a perfect, that's, that's a perfect example. And, 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 and as a host, of course, you might say, sure, you know, right. we'll, we'll go out of our way. We'll do because that's fine. We want to be, we want to be considerate hosts. But if we think about it from the parent's perspective, the parent of that child really is communicating to the child the message, the only way that you can feel okay in new situations is if we are sure that the thing that makes you anxious is not going to be around. Right, you call in advance to ensure that that's, right. that's the case. Yeah. And that's a powerful message for this child. And it's the same for every other anxiety symptom that we might 
think of. You have a child who's worried much of the time. Mm -hmm. They're probably coming to you seeking reassurance, asking you repeated, sometimes endless questions right. about their worry, and you're probably answering them. Those answers are the accommodation. Right. You have a child with social anxiety. Maybe you speak in place of them. You're the one ordering in the restaurant mm, instead of them. see that a lot, yes. To the waiter. Right. And these accommodations, they, they, they really are well-intentioned. They're not a crime. They're not bad behavior on the side of parents. And I also really want to be clear that I'm not suggesting that these parents are the cause of right. their child's having an anxiety problem. First, this is how we respond to a child who is anxious, not mm -hmm. that they're causing the child to be anxious in the first place. But when we get trapped into these cycles of accommodation, children tend to stay more anxious over time. And it's really not surprising because they really are getting that message mm -hmm. of, I should not be feeling anxious. Here, even my parents are working so hard to make sure that I never am. Well, that's a pretty clear message to me that it would be very bad if I ever mm -hmm. did feel like. Mm -hmm. and, and that it is an actual problem, right? We're like validating the problem. I remember in your book, you said, uh, you talked about a girl who was so anxious about burglars and then her her dad was like, oh, right, all right, I'm just gonna get like the best lock and put it on the door. And then that child like went bananas at night because clearly her father knew something about how horrible this these burglars must be. And they're clearly gonna get in here because even daddy is afraid that the burglars are gonna come in. He got the best lock, he got the biggest lock. And you just go, oh, right? Or the, the child who, who won't go upstairs by themselves. And, and we certainly had that in our house for a while that they're too nervous to go upstairs or downstairs by themselves. And so the parent goes with them or the other sibling goes with them so that they have the company and, they, and then you can get through your day and then you can get out to school or whatever it might be. Exactly. That's exactly right. So we're giving that the, the accommodation is giving that message of anxiety is dangerous to me. And it's often reinforcing mm -hmm. the beliefs that I have about the real world that may not be very accurate or, or rational or reasonable beliefs. Mm -hmm. And really, those two things, being supportive, and learning how to systematically, but in a loving and gradual and caring and supportive way reduce accommodation mm -hmm. those two things when you do them together are an effective way of treating childhood anxiety problems and they are the two legs that this new treatment that this book that you, that you mentioned breaking mm -hmm. three of child anxiety and ocd it's really a book to help parents to implement what has been shown to be an effective way of treating child anxiety problems on their own. Mm -hmm. The treatment is called SPACE, which stands for Supportive Parenting for Anxious Childhood Emotions. Mm -hmm. And it really is about those two things. It's about being more supportive and less accommodating. Mm -hmm. And clinical trial research from multiple studies shows that when we get good at that, when we do those two changes consistently, Children can actually overcome even serious anxiety or OCD problems, even if they never meet with a therapist themselves mm -hmm. directly at all. And you talk about the, this idea of, of mapping out your accommodations and then 
making a plan, right? That there's a plan that you can make so that you write it down and you are very clear as to what the issues are, what the accommodations are. And then, you know, for that child who won't go upstairs by themselves, now you're making the choice that, okay, now I'm I'm not going to go upstairs with them anymore but here is what I will do uh, because peeling back every single thing that you're doing all, all at once may not be the best answer. So you're peeling it back, but you have like a specific plan. Can you tell us more about the, the mapping and the planning so that people can reduce the accommodations that they're doing? Yes, and this is, it's really important. You know, if we were to try to just say, all right, uh, I heard a podcast and now I know that accommodation is not helpful over time and so no more accommodation <laughs> ever. Uh, that would be unlikely to work. Mm-hmm. Th- that is, you know, it's it's a nice slogan, mm-hmm. right? Like no more accommodation, no more climate change. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, that, that, that's a great program or a great slogan, but you don't solve climate change with a slogan and you also don't solve child anxiety disorders with a a slogan Mm -hmm. you need practical tools and you need practical plans and you need to do it in a step-by-step fashion honestly even if you were to be successful at just stopping all your accommodations all at once that would be pretty overwhelming for your child Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. i don't think that it would be better so we start with that mapping which means just thinking over your entire day right like just take take 10 minutes or an hour maybe and and take a pencil and a paper and just think about your day starting Mm -hmm. from the morning you know maybe i'm waking up earlier in the morning than i otherwise would be Mm -hmm. because i have to accommodate my child maybe they're so scared about being late to school that i'm leaving the house half an hour early so Mm -hmm. that they can be there long before the bell even rings for Mm -hmm. example Mm -hmm. maybe I'm picking their clothes for them and we're going through 20 minutes of like, no, this is not perfect enough. This is not perfect (laughs) enough. And I'm getting up early for that. And think about meal times, breakfast. uh, Am I I making special foods? Am I serving them in special ways? Am I staying near Mm. them when I really should be doing something else during this time, Mm. like getting myself ready for work? Mm. And school time, am I texting with my child during school? Uh, and the afternoon, extracurriculars, do I not, you know, maybe I stay with them at all of their extracurriculars or play dates because they're anxious about being a- alone. Mm. And the evening time and bedtime, nighttime rituals, yes. sleeping next to you yes. at night. Right. So think through your whole day and just writing down in a non-judgmental, not critical, this isn't a confession. Right. Uh, you know, You've not done something wrong. All right. you've done is tried to help your child feel better. Of right? course. That's your big crime. So in a non-judgmental and non-critical way, just thinking about what are the things that I do differently because this child is anxious and how often do I do them? And that's what gives you your accommodation map. Mm. And then once you have that, you can go to that next step. You can make a plan for one specific accommodation don't try to do everything at once but pick one thing one part of the day one Mm -hmm. particular behavior try to pick something that happens pretty frequently Mm -hmm. so you'll have lots of times to practice it and your kid will have lots of times to get used to the change and then another really important step is letting your child know we never do this by surprise right right? we don't we don't just suddenly change our behavior and leave the kid feeling confused (laughs) and upset and wondering what's going on we tell them in a really loving, supportive way that I'm going to be doing this differently because I realize 
that I've not been helping you in the best way. Mm -hmm. And I care about you so much that I'm going to be doing this differently to help you. And I know it will be hard, mm -hmm. but I also know that you can handle it. Mm -hmm. There it is again. Yeah. So, so then what if the child is resistant in this situation, you're trying, your, your child doesn't want to get on the bus because they're scared. The child doesn't want to go upstairs because they're scared. They don't want to go into the woods because they're spiders, whatever it might be. And you are now not doing your accommodations or not doing them in the same fashion. How are you peeling back the layers and then still getting some progress? What if they just refuse or throw a tantrum or become aggressive? What's, what's the next step there? Yeah, it's a great question. But here's the biggest secret about space as a treatment for child anxiety. And it is that through this entire process, if you do it right, <laughs> through this entire process, you'll actually never be demanding your child do anything. Why is that? Because the target that you chose, the thing that you chose to focus on was really about your behavior, not yes. about theirs. Right. Right. So they may not right away change their behavior. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't make sense to expect that they will just because you read a book, you heard a talk, mm -hmm. you talked to a doctor, just because you did that today and you understood about how you're going to change your behavior. That doesn't mean that this is the moment that your child is also going to say, all right, great. I'm on board to 100%. Let's go for it. That may lag a little bit after the change in your behavior. They may need to hear you being supportive for a few weeks. Mm -hmm. They may need to see you reducing that accommodation take that example of the order you know the child who doesn't order at the restaurant and we've been ordering for them forever mm -hmm. because that's just how we do it right yeah and right. maybe we chose that as our target accommodation that doesn't mean that the next time you're all going out to eat your child is going to speak to the waiter right it doesn't make sense to think that the very first time that you change your behavior they're immediately going to change theirs mm -hmm. but if you're doing it right, then your plan wasn't starting tomorrow, my child orders for himself. Mm -hmm. That's a plan that you don't really have control over, right? We don't really get to decide what the child is going to do. Mm -hmm. But if I made my plan, I'm not going to order for them. And I'm going to accept that maybe they'll order this time. Maybe they'll order next time. Maybe it'll be in three times. I don't know. But I'm going to accept that I don't have control over that. I'm just going to focus on the change in me. And so when, it, when the waiter comes by, I'm going to remind them, remember, like I told you, because we always let them know in advance, mm -hmm. I'm going to remind them, I know this is a difficult thing for you. And I believe you can handle it. So I'm not ordering for you today. That means that I'm not really demanding anything of you. So the child might get upset, mm -hmm. but I don't have to get upset in return. And the child may not order. Right. I mean, at that, that point, today. you have to be OK with that. Either they're not That's going exactly. to order and they're going to sit there with no food or they may find a different way by pointing at the thing on their menu or doing it in, you know, writing it down or finding a different way to convey Absolutely. what their order is. And that should and that needs to be OK. Right. I would celebrate that. I would, I would celebrate, celebrate that, too. I'd be like, Woo that's huge progress. Yes, that is huge progress. That's my child shifting from I'm helpless in this situation unless you handle it for me to I do have a difficulty and I'm finding ways that are independent to mm -hmm. cope with it. From there, it's a much smaller step to next time actually speaking. Mm -hmm. yes. And so, yes, we have to be OK. Maybe he goes home and eats a peanut butter sandwich at home this time. And that's OK. It's not a punishment. Mm -hmm. Right. There's no we, we never want to punish kids for being anxious. Right. Right. That, right. 
Yes, I highlighted that in the book many times. That's really important. Anxiety is, is really not a misbehavior, but we're showing them that we really believe that they can handle it. Mm -hmm. And so that's the beauty of it. If we're not coming to them with a demand, you're going to change, you're gonna do this from now on, then there's much less place for all of that conflict, for all of those fights. Does it mean my child won't get upset with me? No, sometimes they will Sometimes they will get upset with me. Sometimes they won't. But it means that I don't have to get upset with them. I can stay calm and just in a really loving way say, I see that this is hard. Mm -hmm. I, I really think that's incredibly important. And, and understanding that the benchmarks to success may not be what you had in mind, that they do 100% of the thing, that they climb down the mountain, that they order the food or that they touch the spider or go in the woods, but that there's a couple of steps that they can take that still are progress, even if it's very incremental. Isn't that correct? Yes, that okay. is correct. That okay. is correct. Okay. But, what we, but what the research actually shows is that if you stick to these changes in your behavior, there will be change mm, in your child's right. behavior as well. So you're not, that's not the thing you're directly manipulating but that is what will happen if you change your behavior. Then even not just parents report, but children themselves report following this treatment that they feel less anxious. Because they have the space, I mean, not to be punny, but like they have the space to do it, right? You gave, exactly. you now opened up that space for them. Please complete this sentence. The key to breaking free of child anxiety and OCD is acceptance and confidence mm -hmm. and, the, and it's and that's all part of that support that you talked about that we need to be able to convey even though it's hard I know you can do hard things I believe in you I, this anxiety stinks but you can do it right that's those exactly. those statements okay exactly and then what is your top tip what do you want people to come away with after listening to this podcast so that when their child comes home from school or when they have their child come into their room at night again or when they're dealing with whatever anxious behavior that they typically do, what do you want them to come away with so that they can apply it to their own lives? Yeah, what I would say is all of those little moments, think of them as opportunities. Mm. Those moments, you know, that your child is coming in and you know, there's monsters under my bed mm -hmm. or I'm not able to speak in class because I'm so embarrassed mm -hmm. or, uh, you know, all of those moments. What I want to say to parents is see those as opportunities, mm -hmm. opportunities to give your child that 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 huge gift of learning that I am someone who can handle anxiety. Mm -hmm. If we see those moments just as symptoms, right? These are, these are symptoms, these are problems, then, the, the, then we miss the opportunities that they're giving us. Just like, you know, when, when your toddler falls over because they're still learning to walk, you know that moment where they look at you mm -hmm. and, you know, they're like, they're waiting to see. And you're just going, smile, smile. <laughs> Right, exactly. Fine. You're like smiling, grit your teeth and smile because you know that they're watching right. and they're learning. And if you do smile calmly, they're going to be up and walking right. and playing in no time. Right. And if you look horrified, then they're going to be crying for the next 20 minutes. You are absolutely they're giving right. You, yes. <laughs> they're giving you an opportunity 
yes. to teach them something about life and about themselves. So that's what I would say is think mm -hmm. of those moments as opportunities and you can capitalize on those opportunities rather than just feeling sorry that your child has to experience these symptoms. Excellent. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you and your book and the work that you're doing? Yeah, well, I would point to the website, um, spacetreatment.net. Mm, okay. Spacetreatment.net. It has a lot of resources for professionals and a lot of resources for parents, including forums for, uh, you know, communicating with other both professional and lay uh, forums and many resources, videos, um, books, etc. All right. And I will have that link in my show notes and I'll have the book in my show notes. So anybody who's driving and listening to this or running and listening to this, don't worry, we've got it all covered. And I just want to thank you so much, Dr. Leibowitz, for your insight and your strategies, how you explain anxiety and help us to understand that we do have some control in, in helping our children who are dealing with anxiety problems. I think it's it's been such a great conversation and such a helpful one to to put some control in the hands of the parents and say, we get that this sucks for you also, parents, but that we can do something about it. And here are some tools. So thank you very much for being on the show today. Well, thank you so very much for having me. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends. I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. Come up on Facebook. You can go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com slash drrobin. I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I'll be going back and forth with Dr. Leibowitz and highlighting some of the great things that he said through memes so that we can share them. Uh, he said so many wonderful things and I think it is important to share these. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so other people can learn about Dr. Leibowitz and all the great strategies that he provided so that they can use them in their schools and their homes and in their gyms. I truly appreciate it. I can't tell you how much these reviews mean to me. You've given me so many wonderful five-star reviews, and I just can't tell you how much they mean to me. Thank you. That's all the time we have for today, my fellow parents, leaders, and educators. Thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts are up there, and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here. You're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. And I know you might have heard something today and you thought, oh, I did say that. I forgot to say that. I should have done that. Don't do that to yourself. You are here to get this information and just make a shift, right? We don't know everything as parents. We're learning. We're growing. And all this great information that you got today, now you can apply it. I see you and I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices and our sweet sanity. Please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.